Hello, all you reinventors. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I am the founder of this podcast and of the Covey Club. Today, we're talking to Caitlin Meister, who is the founding director of the Greer Meister Group, a New York City-based private tutoring and educational consulting practice that specializes in content mastery, cognitive flexibility, resilience, and academic independence. And what's wonderful is Caitlin has a lot to say about how she reinvented her whole attitude towards the children that she teaches, which she's been doing all her life, when she had her own kids and learned, hmm, maybe this is not a teachable moment. I should do something else. And she will talk about uh, what you do when it is a teachable, teachable moment, but you're not supposed to be teaching. And then she also talks a lot about how she had to reinvent educating kids during the pandemic and what she sees coming. She believes there is a big change coming and that we are gonna go through not only the first reinvention, which we all had to do during COVID and how we teach and how we educate children and how parents are involved and in reinventing her own business to accept that. But she also wants to talk a little bit about how we're all going to reinvent, reinvent our attitude towards education. And most importantly, how you can reinvent your educational relationship with your child. That is one of the toughest things. I know it, I had two kids, they didn't fall in the middle of the bell curve. They were very different and it made it hard for everybody. And it shouldn't be hard because that's the way children are made. So anyway, I hope you'll enjoy listening to Caitlin Meister. Hi, Caitlin. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's so great to be here. I'm so happy to be talking to you. So let's talk about you kind of have a duo um, reinvention, which I always love. Often reinventions don't come one at a time or when you plan them. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about your personal reinvention to start with, and then we'll talk about your business. Tell, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you grew up, and what you've been doing. Sure. So I'm a born and raised New York City girl. Um, I knew very early on that I had a calling to work with kids, and I started teaching basically when I was still a kid myself. Um, and I was teaching as I was pursuing my own education. And um, when I graduated, I also had this passion to pursue a career in voiceover. So the question for me became, how do I establish myself doing both of those things? And um, I realized that the solution to that challenge was to go into the tutoring and educational cons uh, consulting side of things because it would allow me to do both in a way that classroom teaching wouldn't. So I opened my private practice and... Um, you know, within a year, our schedules were completely full and we started bringing in, um, you know, other team members and we grew from there. So um, it has been an incredibly beautiful journey. It's the most fulfilling work. Um, but <laughs> it's funny because when I became a mom myself, that was my first major reinvention. Um, having my first son changed me profoundly, both as a person and in a business sense, because I was working with children and families. Um, so I would say that was my first major reinvention. And then um, 
the second one being when COVID hit and we really had to pivot the way that we were approaching our business. Let's talk a little bit about how having a child, because I totally agree with you, um, can make you reinvent yourself. How did that happen for you? Because I really do believe that nobody knows how they're going to respond. I used to see some of the most hard bitten workaholic, you know, people suddenly go, I'm staying home. I'm done. (laughs) I'm not going to leave this child anywhere. And then the softest, mushiest, you know, people would be like, I'm back at work the day after I give birth. What, what was your feeling and, and what was your expectation and how did it change? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm chuckling along with you because even though I worked with children and I had so much experience working with kids, I think that I was a little bit delusional about the impact that having a child was going to have on me. Um, I think I had this idea that I was going to have this baby and sort of like tuck him in my back pocket and go on with my life. (laughs) And of course, anybody who's a mom knows that that is not what happens. Um, so I really had to reinvent, um, both my, my personal identity in life and also reinvent what I was doing with my work. Um, I, I found, however, once I could have acceptance for that change, it took me a while to find that acceptance. I think I was a little resistant, um, to exactly how dramatic that change was going to be. But once I found that acceptance, what I did find was that, Um, Being a mom had this profound effect on the way that I approached my work. Um, I had always been good at what I was doing, but I was talking to other parents on a sort of intellectual, conceptual level, you know, where I'm always taking a very evidence-based approach. So here's the research and here's what we see working and all that. And while that all remains true, being a mom pushed me to connect with parents on a very raw emotional level right? We, we want what is best for our children. We want the best educational opportunities for our children. And even deeper than that, I realized that so many parents were coming to me with the same story of something related to academic challenges is causing stress in my relationship with my child. It's, it's distancing us. We're fighting. I, I don't want that. How do I, how do I, change that, right? And this realization that you can hire a tutor or an educator, a coach to work with your child on the academic piece. And what that does as a parent is frees you to fill the role that only you can fill, which is to be your child's primary source of unconditional love, connection, encouragement. And that was the piece I really understood as a mom. Um, on a on a very personal level, there were moments where I saw my son struggle with something and the educator in me, I wanted that to be a teachable moment. <laughs> I wanted to step in and say, no, wait, we can do this. Here's what we do, right? Like I would have done for any of my clients. But what he needed from me in those moments was a hug, right? He needed yeah. his mom. And that was the profound impact, the real reinvention of the way I approach my work that, that becoming a mom had for me. What did it change in your work specifically? Did you change the way that you tutored? Did you change the way you ran your business? What specifically? It it inspired me to launch the educational consulting branch of what we do. So prior to that, we had been doing the tutoring, but this inspired me to really help parents with their educational journeys and to see 
tutoring as one piece of an overall education plan for your child, right? To see that we are tasked with establishing foundations for our youngest learners that are going to impact how they relate to formalized learning for the rest of their lives, right? So the idea that we need to have joy in learning, we need to have fun, we need to have hands-on exploration, we need to lean into self-direction, you know, all of these pieces, and that we need to be for our older kids strengths-based, right? And in in most cases, neurodiversity affirming, and I'm happy to chat more about what some of those buzzwords mean, um, because we are providing the foundations that are going to impact the way these kids identify as learners and the way they relate to their academic environment and then probably later their careers, right? So it's, it's all part of a very big picture as opposed to just thinking of sort of this traditional idea of tutoring of like, oh, he has a test in two weeks and let's just study a bunch in the next two weeks and then be done with it. So you're trying to do what we call lifelong learning, essentially establish, I guess, a love of learning very early on. Yeah. For our younger learners, it's about establishing a love of learning and establishing an identity as a learner and um, developing academic independence as you get older, um, while also preserving this growth mindset that you're born with, right? So, you know, if you ever watch a toddler trying to walk, no matter how many times she gets knocked down, she gets back up again and keeps trying, right? So how do we preserve that, that we're born with, as opposed to over time, contributing in some way to kids' mindsets narrowing or potentially becoming fixed, right? And what that can look like is a child going from, you know, I haven't figured out how to multiply fractions yet to I'm just not good at math to I just shouldn't major in to I just can't be a, right? And and we don't ever have to get there. We don't have to get to I just can't be a. The, The research shows us that the type of feedback that kids get from the adults around them directly impacts whether they preserve that growth mindset or they have that narrowing. Becoming a lifelong learner, does it start all the way back there? And the reason why I'm digging that out is because that's one of the taglines for Covey Club. We kind of have, I would say that probably the most common trait among the women that join Covey, they're curious, they are still learning, and they are always open. Is that something that you see that early on in kids? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And also I see it in myself. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I think that's part of why I have been able to engage in these reinventions because of exactly the characteristics you're mentioning. Um, so I completely agree with you. Yes. So curiosity, you know, kids have an innate curiosity. And if we foster that, then they can pursue a more what we would think of as a self-directed path in education, right? Which just means they're choosing what they're interested in learning about, right? And we as adults can facilitate that for them, but it's not coercive, right? They're not just doing it because this has been assigned and I have to do it whether I'm interested in it or not. Right. Um, so yes, fostering curiosity, 100%. Um, and lifelong learning is what our current world needs, right? I mean, unfortunately, a portion of our educational system now is really wasn't designed for the world that we're living in today. Right, correct. Are you thinking about that with our kids? I just read something um, that I put into the letter from Leslie. I thought it was so interesting where they're saying the kids that are born now are well expected to live beyond 100. 
and that the world we live in, especially with education and work and the way it's been pushed to the early part of your life has to change because you're, that's just stupid. I mean, why should you push all your education to before 20? It doesn't yeah, make I can- any sense anymore. I completely agree. And, you know, my own education didn't stop at 20. It, it's ongoing today, and I hope it will be ongoing for a long time. Um, my grandmother, who actually passed away this summer, who is one of my incredible role models, never stopped learning. I mean, she liked to tell the story that when she was in her 60s and went back for a PhD, oh. I was a baby, and she would take me in the stroller to class with her that's to get awesome. her PhD. <laughs> so I love what, it. <laughs> so I think I absorbed that from a very young age. <laughs> that's fabulous. That is that is who we are. That is exactly who we are. Yep. So so talk about what you're seeing now, because you say you had to reinvent your business during COVID. Obviously, when schools were closed, what happened? Yeah, so our tutoring model had long been one-on-one. And basically, when schools closed overnight, I could see that kids, particularly the younger learners, had had their sense of connectedness and community surrounding their learning ripped out from under them overnight. And parents were panicking, justifiably so. And we were tasked, we we saw this challenge in front of us of how can we recreate that sort of connectedness and community for the kids around their learning. And so, you know, my my husband and one of the top tutors on my team, my husband is our CTO and one of the top tutors on our team, um, you know, we essentially locked ourselves in a room for the first 72 hours of the pandemic and said, you know, how are we going to pivot and reinvent what we're doing to meet this need? Um, and what we ended up doing was launching a series of small group classes on Zoom Um, we were doing one teacher with four learners. We played around with those numbers a little bit, but we found that four was really the sweet spot. And, um, we just offered them on a weekly rolling basis that whole first spring and summer so that parents could opt in, you know, by the day if they needed to or not, you know, it was no long-term commitment because nobody knew what was happening one day at a time back then. I mean, if we can put ourselves sort of in that mindset of where we were in March of 2020 or, you know, even into the summer of 2020, um, and it also allowed us to make our work available to a much wider audience than we had before. We were able to do it at a lower price point. It was accessible nationwide and internationally because it was on Zoom. And um, we made it free of charge for uh, families of frontline healthcare workers. Because, you know, I'm at home late at night watching my two beautiful boys sleep and thinking, if something happened to us in this pandemic, these are the people who are going to take care of my children. I mean, I I don't mean to be overly um, dramatic about it, but that's really what my thought process was back then. And and what is something that my company can give back to the children of those healthcare workers and those caretakers who would give everything for my kids if we needed it? So um, so we made it free for those families. And um, we learned so much, Leslie. I mean, speak about being a lifelong learner. <laughs> Not only was it working, but we've we've learned so much about. Um, you know, the pandemic has taught us a lot about learning that um, I personally believe another reinvention is is on the horizon for me and, and for those in my field to take what we've learned from pandemic learning and, and take what's been really good about it, which might be surprising to hear, but there's been a lot that's been really good about it. And how do we use that moving forward to help our kids? So can you explain what you are talking about with that? And I will agree that from talking to a lot of people 
who had a pivot in the pandemic. Um, it's amazing how many people found new business opportunities who were able to grow, who were able to, because they became virtual. It's absolutely amazing for how many people that work. But talk about the, the bigger picture that you're talking about and how things are changing. Yeah. So, you know, there are certain things related to education that, you know, uh, some group of us who work in the field have been talking about since before the pandemic, in some cases long before the pandemic, that have now become a lot more mainstream and a lot more popularized. And I think the pandemic had a lot to do with that. And I think that's really going to influence the way um, we approach education moving forward. So some specific examples, you've heard me mention this idea of self-directed learning. I think that's a big piece of it because, um, you know, it was very challenging that kids' academic schedules and school schedules were unpredictable. Generally speaking, they were spending less time in school or on Zoom school. They had less homework often because it was considered, you know, quote unquote, asynchronous work during the school day. But the upside of that, the opportunity there was that the kids had this chance to pursue things that were of interest to them that they might not have had the chance to pursue in a typical school year, right? So again, I can see this in my own son. Um, he developed an interest in rocketry and model rocketry that, you know, he never had before the pandemic. And because he was pursuing this interest and had time to research it, he was suddenly learning new things about chemistry and physics and needed the math behind the rocketry. And he was able to connect to new community and make new friends around this interest, um, you know, even in person, not just remotely, because it is something that happens outdoors and social distancing is easy when you do it. Um, and so, you know, that's a beautiful example of self-direction at play. And those things that he learned about chemistry, about physics, engineering, math are going to stay with him better than had he been asked to memorize them from a textbook in a classroom for an assignment because he feels personally connected to them and because he was having fun right kids learn best when they're having fun <laughs> it sounds so simple and yet we have to say it right? right because it's not always happening out there in our educational environment so i think this idea of self-direction this idea of kids learn best when they're having fun and this idea that kids are going to retain and apply what they're learning when they feel personally connected to it is something that many of us saw you know lighting families up during this pandemic going I see that, you know, I see how this is impacting my child just the way my husband and I saw it for our son. And and we're going to hang on to that. Right. That's something that I think we should all hang on to and we should all continue to prioritize. How does that joy of learning, where does that come from? Is that something that a parent can install in a child or are, is everybody born with that? And then for some, the light goes out. Or what's your, I mean, is it an innate kind so of thing? I think everybody's born with the curiosity, that, that sort of fearless why, right? When we think of that joke we make as parents about, you know, our young kids asking you a thousand times in a row, okay, but why, why, why? And, you know, my son was funny because he'd get through like 50 whys and then after the very last why he'd go, but what would happen if we didn't? <laughs> so I think we're born with that and we can foster that as parents and as teachers by taking those questions seriously, right? By answering them deeply, by not dismissing them, by not thinking, oh, my child's too young for the real answer to that, right? You know, I think that um, there is a developmentally appropriate way to approach any subject. 
Um, and so, you know, I think that we need to be careful also as adults of not dismissing something and saying, oh, he's not ready for that. Well, he may not be ready for the same version you're ready for, right? But he's ready for some version of it. Um, so I think that's a big part of it. And I think the other part of fostering that curiosity as opposed to, you know, quieting it or stifling it is giving our kids space to be self-directed, to show us what they're going to be interested in and to follow their lead. Um, that can be very hard, especially speaking as an educator. Again, like when I see my son interested in something, I want to really get in there and show him how awesome it can be. But I do need to step back and give him space to explore. Um, and, and if I can add one more interesting point to that, you know, then some parents who will say, well, but, you know, if, if you're going to let him lead, then how does he know what he's interested in? You know, what if it's something he doesn't even know is out there? Um, and that's where we do something that, you know, an educator jargon we call strewing, which means that um, we're putting a lot of different opportunities in our children's environment, right? We're leaving books there. We're putting materials there. We're suggesting, you know, oh, take a look at this class or let's go have lunch with this person who has expertise here and and allowing the kids to find what interests them. It's not that we're not presenting those opportunities. It's that we're not, um, we're not scripting them, right? And we're not saying, okay, so this is the year you do, you know, lacrosse and next year is the year you do, you know, math club. Do you find kids today are as interested in diverse things as when you grew up? Do you, do you see them interested in different things? What do you, what's the trend that you're seeing? I mean, I think it's very child specific and it's going to vary child by child, but I think the more that you can foster their curiosity and follow their lead when they're younger, the more they're going to continue to have expansive thinking about what might interest them or what they might be, uh, what might be available to them as they get older. Um, you know, we do have some kids, we have kids in our practice who had a calling early on, you know, as young teenagers or even, you know, in, in the middle school years, and they really focus in on something. And I would never say not to do that. I mean, if that's really what the child is drawn to and called to do, and they are pursuing that type of learning at a really deep level at a young age, that's beautiful. That's about knowing yourself. I mean, again, to go back to your concept of lifelong learning, right? I I really believe in in respecting a child who says, you know, I really know that this is what interests me. So I'm not trying to say that we should um, always be, you know, pursuing 80 different things at one time. It's about following your child's lead more than anything. Talk about downtime. Um, so many kids today are overscheduled. They're spending their free time in digital space. So they're never bored. And isn't boredom where a lot of these new ideas and creativity and all that comes from? Or do you not subscribe to that? I do subscribe to that. I think that um, learning how to handle yourself when you're bored is an essential life skill. I think that um, being overscheduled is stressful for anybody, and we should not think that it's any easier on our <laughs> on our younger kids or our teenagers than it is on us. Um, and, you know, we as human beings need the quiet moments, the the downtime moments, the unscheduled moments to allow our brains to process all of the experiences that we've had in an hour, in a day, in a week, in a month, you know, and it's in some of those quieter moments that we make big connections or we have a new creative idea. And if we never give our brains the space to get quiet, 
and do that, then we're we're missing out. In what way or what steps can you tell parents? Because we're all very concerned. We want to make sure that we give our kids every opportunity. We want to educate them properly. We want to do everything for them. What's the like one or two steps for reinventing how you approach working with your kids? Because that is so, when you're trying to tutor your own kid, I thought what you said at the very beginning is a really good point, is that sometimes that's not going to work for you. And bringing in somebody from the outside so that you can be a different type of relationship with your kid works better. Some I remember having a terrible time trying to learn things um, and my my dad not being able to teach me. <laughs> we didn't have <laughs> tutors back then for whatever reason. I don't know why. But is there something, you know, are there one or two, three steps that that parents can take? Yeah, I would say the number one tip that I would give is exactly what you were just commenting on, which is, um, you know, if being involved in your child's academics, if, if trying to play the role of the tutor is creating stress and discord in that relationship, step back from that and bring in a professional to help um, because you then can step fully into the role of providing that encouragement and that emotional connection that your child really can only get from you as the parent. And, you know, I have seen over and over again, when we make that adjustment, that the academics improve and that emotional connection with the parent improves everything else going on in the child's life. So that is my absolute number one. Stop looking for the teachable moments and look for the huggable moments. <laughs> you know, when when my child is experiencing a perfectionist moment and is is frustrated and is crying, I go in and I give a hug. And that's a change for me from before the pandemic. Before the pandemic, I would have gone in and tried to fix the learning issue, right? But now I go in and give the hug. So that's tip number one. Seek the emotional connection um, and find somebody else to help with the academic stress. Um, number two, I would say um, be open to change in your own life and in your child's life. So, um, you know, I'm sure Leslie, you can relate to this. How often do we have a picture in our heads of like what the next chapter of our life or three chapters from now are going to look like? And um, it's not what it turns out to be. And yet what it turns out to be can be wonderful. Yes. And um, I think that we need to remember to be open to that for our children. Right. And if the, the next chapter in your child's life or in her academic career, since that's what we've been talking about, doesn't look the way you envisioned it, um, it can still be wonderful and beautiful and and look for ways to support your child on that path, on that journey, whatever it does end up looking like. So so being open to that change would be my second one. Um, and my third one would be trust that your child can do well. Right. So, you know. I truly believe that kids do well when they can, um, you know, and and I truly believe that no child is looking for the easy way out. They're looking for the right way in, right? And what we have to do as educators and as parents is help them develop the skills they need to succeed and to help them figure out what is my right way in. Um, and we do that by listening to them. We do that by trusting them. We do that by advocating for them with their teachers and their schools on how they learn best, 
right? So for too long, in my opinion, we have relied on an educational system where we send everybody in to learn the same way and do the same things. And yet if we want a different result on the other end, like a cure for cancer or a solution to climate change, why do we think that putting all of our kids into the same mold is going to get us something different on the other side? right? It just doesn't make sense. So this idea of of advocating for your child and saying, this is how my child learns and what my child needs to be successful. That would definitely be my third one. Yeah. I remember having to explain early on to both of my kids about the bell curve and how schools just catered to the center of the bell and they were not in the center of the bell. They had their own things, their own issues. And you know, trying to explain that that's actually where the interesting stuff happens. It doesn't always happen at the center of the bell. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. But it's really hard for them to understand it when they feel like they're different and they're not, they're not falling in the center of the easy thing that schools are directed at. Yeah. And you know, I, I completely agree. And I think that this is um, really an opportunity for parents. And this connects back to what we were talking about, like how becoming a mom caused me to you know, build this educational consulting side of what I do, because this is a big part of what I'm helping parents with, right? How do I, as a parent who, who doesn't have an education background, how do I learn how my child learns best? And, and mm-hmm. more than that, once I've understood that, how do I go into a school and advocate for the way that my child learns best and make sure that yes. our needs are being met. It doesn't, it's not something that you're born knowing how to do. Right. right. And so like, this is something I've been saying to parents a lot because of the pandemic. It feels hard because it is hard. Right. Yes. But, but I'm here <laughs> and we can do this. Right. That's what it comes down to. Like we can do this. And, and that's such a part of what I'm, I'm doing and the message I'm putting out there right now. Wonderful. Caitlin, thank you so much. I love this topic. We have not talked about this before and I love I think parents have gotten a view into education that they would not have gotten had it not been for the pandemic, both good and bad. And they need to understand what, you know, what they can do and what they can't do. And probably this is the best time for us to have discussed this. So tell us a little bit about where people can reach you and um, are, do you do social media or education people stay out of there? <laughs> Um, I stayed out of it for a long time, but I okay. am on I am on Instagram now. Uh, they can find me at Caitlin Greer Meister. And what we're doing there and in, on Instagram is a lot of what we just talked about, this idea of how do we break down some of this education jargon because your child's education should not be mystifying, right? right. And how do we put practical strategies in place that you can learn today and be using to help your kid by homework time tonight, right? So so that's where you'll find us doing that work on Instagram at Caitlin Greermeister. And if you're interested in more about what our tutoring and educational consulting practice is doing, you can find us at greermeistergroup.com. Wonderful. Caitlin, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Leslie. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you all for joining us on this conversation today. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and you took home some tidbits about how to handle your children and handle your relationship with your kids um, through education and how you can handle it differently. And 
I hope that this made you also understand that things change. We change, the world changes, having children makes us change, our businesses change. Change is what? The through line through life. And we have to be open to that. It's good to change. And if you are being pounded on the door by change right now, and, and maybe you're like, oh my God, this is scary change, or whatever. We are here at Covey Club for you. We are masters at change, that's what we do. We hold a space for you while you figure out what's next. And we educate you and we bring you together with women who are going through the same things that you are right now. I know you think it's all on you and you're the only one, I promise you. Everything you are going through, there are other women out there just like you who are tackling the same issues. And we all get together and we do it together at Cubby Club because it's much better to do it together and not alone. So come on over to cubbyclub.com, check us out and join us because we are a very unique community and we really do hold the space for you while you figure out what's next. And also subscribe to the podcast. Take care, see you next.